All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. Mark, chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 23 this morning. We are uh, continuing our study of Mark's Gospel, uh, and more specifically, we are in our fifth week uh, of our study of the Olivet Discourse. I think we're going to probably do about three more weeks uh, in chapter 13, and then we'll move on. Uh, but our text this morning, our text this morning has to do with false Christs and false prophets. It's a fairly relevant text. Um, you'll, you'll see. It's a very relevant text to us. In these three verses, our Lord Jesus is giving a warning to his infant church about what they can expect during the days of the Jewish war with Rome in the first century. And one of the things that they can expect is for an abundance of false messiahs. That's what Christ means, right? Christ is from the Greek word Christos. That's the Greek equivalent of the word Messiah, right? So that's all that that means. False Christ is a false messiah. They can expect, this, the infant church can expect during the time of the Jewish war with Rome for an abundance of false messiahs and false prophets to rise up in those days and deceive many. And so our Lord lovingly warns his people to be on guard and reject such wicked liars and deceivers. But he also, in our text, gives a, a word of, just a glorious word of comfort within this warning, right? It's an encouragement to his church that he, that he tucks in here. And here's the encouragement to you, and I hope to flesh this out a little bit later. The elect, that is those who truly know and trust in Christ, will not be deceived. This is encouraging. The words of Jesus in our text though fulfilled in the first century, nevertheless contain timeless truths and principles that benefit his church until he returns. This passage will teach us that in the face of false Christs, false prophets, and false teachers, we are to be resolved to stick tight to the Lord Jesus Christ while also resting in his precious promise that he will preserve his elect. There's a lot to encourage us here in these verses. There's a lot here. And there's a lot for us to take heed to as well and listen. And I think that reminds us of how good the word of God is. In God's kindness, he's given us his word that fills our hearts with hope and joy, as well as giving us wisdom and warnings to teach us how to walk in our days. This is good stuff. Um, a quick word before we begin. Uh, I'll be teaching this text thematically this morning, or at least relatively thematically. What I mean is it won't be, we're going to walk straight through verse 21, and then verse 22, and then verse 23. I'm going to try to address it in themes. Uh, and in order to do that, I've, I've organized the material into four headings. And here they are. If you're a note taker, here, here they are. Four headings. First, false Christs and false prophets. Second, refuse to listen. Third, the elect will be preserved. Fourth, be on guard. By God's grace, that's where we're going this morning. And may God bless our time in his word. So with that said, if you wouldn't or able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. Mark chapter 13, verses 21 through 23. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you 
this morning for your word. We thank you for giving us a sure foundation to stand on, a sure word to believe, a sure guide for our lives. We ask now that you would bless the ministry of your word to the salvation of our souls. By your spirit, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and bend our wills to believe and obey. Grant us faith, love, and obedience to what you have spoken by your spirit and your word. And grant to us greater love and greater faithfulness to our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So let's establish some context first. Um, our Lord, throughout this discourse, starting in verse 5, or really verse 2, has been prophesying about the coming destruction that was fulfilled, rather the coming destruction on Jerusalem that was fulfilled in A.D. 70. And in this section of the Olivet Discourse that we're in right now, Jesus has now specifically begun to talk about when things are going to get really bad in Jerusalem. Uh, what I mean is beginning in verse 14, Jesus begun to, uh, has begun to speak about what it will be like when the Roman armies, remember a couple weeks back, the Roman armies are the abomination of desolation, when the Roman armies will wage war against Jerusalem. And also he's beginning to talk about how the Christians need to flee when they see the Romans approaching. And now, continuing that theme, the destruction of Jerusalem with the, and, and war with Rome, which is the theme of verses 5 through 30, Jesus begins to speak of false Christs and false prophets that will become more prevalent in those days. All right, so there's your context. We're talking about Jewish war with Rome, what it's going to be like during that time, and Jesus begins to talk about false Christs and false prophets that will arise during that time of war with Rome. And that brings us to our first heading, false Christs and false prophets. I'm going to read verses 21 and 22 again. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Verse 21 begins with the phrase, and then, in the English Standard Version. Um, that phrase can be translated at that time, and it's often is translated that way in many different places in the New Testament. Um, and, and it's something equivalent to the phrase, in those days. Right, just bear with me, it's kind of important. I, I want to make sure that you know I'm not taking this out of context. Uh, that and then can be translated to at that time, which is equivalent to in those days, or then, as in then at the time that I'm speaking of. Right, so I see some of you are nodding your head. Good, this is good. So Jesus is speaking of a further feature of the general period being described. That is the, the period leading up to Jerusalem's destruction. I say that to say this. Jesus is not speaking of a subsequent phase of history. Right, that's not what's going on. Remember, the focus of verses 5 through 30 is to answer the disciples' question in verse 4 about the destruction of the temple. So that's what Jesus is continuing to talk about. He's not talking about a subsequent phase in history and then way in the future. No, it's and in those days, at that time that I've been talking to you about, this is what will happen. So these verses are saying that in the days when the abomination of desolation is seen, right, when it's seen or when you see it coming, verse 14, right, this is the Roman armies, that there will be false prophets and false Christs arise. 
And they will try to convince those in Jerusalem that the city would be saved and not destroyed. They would lead people astray, or they would try to anyway. In particular, given the context, what Jesus says in verse 22, they would try to lead Christians astray. How? How would they lead Christians astray? I think if you read the whole section, you, 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 you can, we, can, we can deduce that they would try to convince them to not flee to the mountains like Jesus told them to do in verse 14. They will offer false hope of salvation through false messiahs, false Christs, and false promises of deliverance through false prophets. They will arise and lead many astray. That is from the true Christ. They will lead people astray from the true Christ, Jesus, and astray from what he said about the coming fate of Jerusalem at the hands of Rome. And indeed, as you could guess, because you know Jesus is a true prophet, during the time leading up to and during the Jewish war with Rome, and during the time of the siege, there were many false messiahs, there were many false Christs. Um, there were many men who claimed to be some kind of a king. And there were people who would say, this is our king. And what, what, what was the king promising to do? Rescue Jerusalem from the Romans. And for those of you who know uh, your first century Bible history very well and, and thoughts of the day, uh, to be a Jew who claimed to be a king who would rescue Israel from the Romans would have been understood by everybody that you were claiming to be the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. That's what all the Jews were expecting. They were wrong, but that's what they thought the Messiah was going to come and do. And in his historical account, the first century historian Josephus, Josephus actually mentions a few of these false kings by name. Now, I think he was probably afraid to call them false messiahs because he's working for Rome at this time. He doesn't want to be put in those groups of Jews who are looking for a messiah. That would have made him quite nervous and put him in a bad position uh, with, with Rome. But he calls them false kings. And then he names a few of them. There was, there was three different names uh, that, I, that I read this past week. And Josephus also mentions many unnamed false prophets who prophesied that God would rescue Jerusalem from the Romans by supernatural intervention. If I'm remembering right, this isn't in my notes, I'm just off the cuff here. Uh, he, he mentions one false prophet in particular, and he doesn't name him, uh, but this false prophet had told them that they needed to go up to the Temple Mount and God was going to rescue them from the Romans there. And there, I believe it was three or 6,000 of them were just slaughtered and thrown over the sides of, the, of the, um, the walls there. So false prophets prophesying false hope. God's going to supernaturally deliver, just go there, and then the Romans attack there. Um, so lots of false prophets and false Christs. These men were proclaiming that a time of deliverance had come, whether through the Messiah or through divine intervention. And again... Remember the Jewish concept of Messiah at that time. They're looking for an earthly deliverer. They were looking for an earthly nation, an earthly salvation with an earthly king and earthly freedom, particularly from Rome. That's what they're looking for, and that's what these false Christs and false prophets were promising. And remember also that this makes them susceptible to believing the false Christs and false messiahs, their beliefs about the temple. It had to stand until the end of time, according to their theology. They were wrong. But that was a popular belief among the Jews in the first century. The temple has to stand until the end of time. And in their minds, since they rejected Jesus, they believed that the Messiah had not yet come. And if the Messiah hasn't come, then the end of the world cannot be upon us. 
and therefore the temple can't be destroyed and Rome can't win. Do you see how all of these errors are building on top of one another to then say, well, God must deliver us somehow then. Their unbelief in Jesus Christ and their rejection of him and his gospel had left them open to all kinds of deception. All kinds of deception. And they fell right into all of this. They ate up all these falsehoods. They believed them. And so many were deceived. Listen, anyone who offered some kind of hope of deliverance was gladly received while the Christian message of the true Christ and his warning of judgment was rejected. And we can kind of understand this. Nobody wants to die. And so the Jews were ready to receive any messianic pretender or false prophet who promised deliverance. And that's exactly what they did. Jesus also mentions here in verse 22 that these false Christs and false prophets would perform signs and wonders to lead people astray. It sounds to me and, and many commentators that Jesus is paraphrasing Deuteronomy 13 at this point. If you want to flip there, Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 4. I'll wait a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 4 says this. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul." You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. God spoke through Moses and told Israel that this is super important. Seriously, this is, this is, this is really relevant to us today. He tells Israel that even if someone gave a prophecy that came to pass, that is they predicted some kind of event for the future and then it happened, and even if they performed what appeared to be a miracle, something that you cannot personally explain, but then went on to teach something contrary to what God said, don't believe them. Even if they do stuff that you can't explain, if they teach you something contrary to what God has already revealed, do not believe them. Such a one is a liar, and as such they are to be ignored, and if you go on and read verse 5, in Israel you execute them. In Old Testament Israel, they were to be stoned to death for lying and being a false prophet. In the context of the Olivet Discourse, I think Jesus is saying much of the same thing. These false Christs and false prophets will perform signs and wonders. They maybe will utter some statements about the future that will come true. And maybe they will do seemingly supernatural things. But even though they do that, if they claim a different Christ other than the Lord Jesus Christ... Or if they claim something contrary to what he has said, namely that God was going to save Jerusalem from Rome, do not believe them. Why? Because they're liars. Now, a brief note here on these signs and wonders. I'm stealing this from R.C. Sproul, so you know it's good. Um, I, I am of the opinion uh, that the signs uh, of these liars were probably false signs and false wonders. Commentators differ on this, but I think that they were probably tricks that they did. 
Um, this would be very similar to what Pharaoh's magicians did in the book of Exodus, right? Who, quote, by their secret arts, by their tricks, they seemed to replicate Aaron's staff turning into a serpent, right? You, you've seen or you, you've read uh, about this in Exodus. I don't believe that the magicians in Exodus did legitimate miracles. And I don't think that these false Christs and false prophets did either. And in part, this is because true miracles are acts of God. And true miracles are meant to validate and attest to the message of a prophet or apostle who has been sent from God. And I don't believe that God would perform true miracles for those who are in opposition to Jesus Christ. So then, I am of the opinion that these miracles were not true miraculous acts of God, but rather they were most likely deceptions and tricks. Uh, but just real quick, I could be wrong, right? I'm okay with that. I could be wrong, and God is certainly able to allow Satan to manipulate nature in order to deceive people, especially if God is permitting this to happen in order to judge those people for rejecting his son. Right? So just know that. that that's not off the table either. I don't think that's what's going on, but it could be. But either way, catch this. Jesus says, this is so important. Jesus says, no matter what you see them do, listen to what they say. They're going to do signs and wonders. Don't listen to them. Whatever you see them do, listen to what they say. And if they claim a Christ other than Jesus, or if they say anything contrary to Jesus, don't listen to them. There's a principle for us here, isn't there? I believe it's a principle that serves us very well. Knowing what Jesus says and knowing who Jesus is is more important than any sign that you could see or hear. What you know from the book of God is more important than anything you might witness. What God has said is more solid and sure than anything you might witness. Why do I say that? Well, our perception of things is fallible, correct? Houdini made a living off of this. Our perceptions being infallible. That's how magicians make money. Your perception is fallible. God's word is not. So no matter what you may see from false teachers, even if they seem to appear to do miracles, it's more important to listen to what they say about Jesus and his word. What a principle to guard us from those charlatans, and I'm sure you've met them or you've seen them online, who say that they've done miracles or seen miracles, and yet they preach heresies. Don't listen, or don't listen to them. Listen to what they say. Ignore what they're doing. Whatever people say is more important than any sign that they show you. And just real quick, this isn't in my notes either. You look around at people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, and you maybe see them doing a great many good deeds in the community. Right? You see them doing good things. Listen to what they say. If you want to know whether or not they're actually from God, listen. Atheists can feed homeless people. I used to be one, and I did it from time to time. Listen to what they say more than what they do. And I'm not saying, listen, faith without works is dead. I'm not saying that we should not do good things. But doing good things is not the end all be all. Listen to what they say about the word of God. Listen to what Jesus that they present to you. What they say is more important than what they do. But going back to the first century fulfillment of all of this, 
Josephus actually records that some of the false Christs and false prophets did indeed offer signs and wonders. And funny enough, that Josephus actually uses the same Greek phrase here that Jesus does. They did signs and wonders. I'm not saying Josephus is inspired or anything. It just struck me as, that's kind of funny. Same phrase Jesus used, and that they claim to do signs and wonders to support their claims. Um, and you can read these things in, in Josephus's history of the Jewish war. They did many things that people were astonished at and things that appeared to be supernatural, and they claimed, contrary to Jesus, that others were the Messiah and that God would deliver them from Rome. And neither of those claims turned out to be true. So summary so far, I know I spent a lot of time on this heading, but Jesus says that imposters would rise as the war with Rome broke out, or rather brewed and then broke out, and that they would rise and take power to themselves and convince people that God would save them, and the people were going to be apt to believe them because they wanted saved from Rome. And they were apt to believe these liars because they rejected Jesus. I'm not the first person to see this, but there's a note of divine irony in this, isn't there? The Jews who would not receive Jesus Christ would later be deceived into receiving all manner of false Christs. They wouldn't take the true ones, so God gave them over to deception and they would believe all the false ones. Likewise, they would not listen to the true Christ's prophets, the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. And so God handed them over to their own deception to be deceived by false prophets. This reminds us a little bit of what the Apostle Paul says about false teachers in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says it's these false teachers that people accumulate teachers that will tickle their itching ears, that will teach them what they want to hear. Paul says that the false teachers are sought out by those who don't want the truth. That the false teachers, check this out, are, would, would then be a judgment on those who want them. Brothers and sisters, sometimes God gives people what they want, and it's a judgment upon them. And the Jews wanted any Christ except Jesus Christ. So God gave them all kinds of false Christs, and they believed. But don't miss this. Consider the statement in verse 21. Look. There he is. What's being said by these men when they say, look, here is the Christ. Look, there he is. They're saying this. I think it's implied here. It has to be. The Messiah is not Jesus. Rather, it's this guy. That's what they're saying. Look, here's the Christ. The, the Christians are saying Jesus was the Christ or is the Christ. We're saying, look, here's the Christ. Or the false prophets preaching about salvation from Rome. What are they saying? Jesus was wrong. What Jesus says isn't true. We're telling you we're going to be saved. These false Christs and these false prophets were declaring that Jesus is a liar and that his words are false and that Jesus is not the Christ. And as Jesus said, again, they led many astray. And Josephus records that's exactly what happens. Most of the Jews, this is wild, most of the Jews would not listen to reason even from among their own ranks. People were trying to get them to stop fighting Rome. Rome was trying to get them to surrender and stop fighting, and they absolutely wouldn't listen to reason. The war with Rome was unwinnable, but they wouldn't give up. Why? Because they believed false Christs and false prophets, and the result was 1.1 million Jews being slaughtered at the hands of the Romans. They would not believe, and so they were handed over to death. Brothers and sisters, I think that there's a lot of relevance for us in what we've seen just so far in this first heading. 
There are many false Christs and many false prophets in our day, just as there were back then. Even in our little community, believe it or not, we are slowly becoming the minority of Christians in the world. We're still the majority around here, but false Christs and false prophets are, are starting to gain more ground here in Portsmouth. The Apostle John, in his letters, warns us of antichrists, plural, not one end times guy. Paul, or, uh, John says there are many antichrists. These are false Christs and false teachers. And he says that they would come between Christ's ascension and his return. There are many in our day who seek to lead others astray from the true Christ and teach them that his words, Jesus' words, are false. Um, there are, I actually put them in, in two different categories here, so bear with me. Maybe this will be helpful to you. There are what I call formal false Christs. Right, what am I talking about? Well, first, there are those few individuals who start cults and claim to be the Messiah, like David Koresh. Right? I, I am Jesus. I am the Messiah of the Old Testament. There, that doesn't happen all the time. I think there's a dude in Mexico that's doing that right now. It's strange stuff. Um, anyhow, so there's that. But there are also those false religions that pre preach a false version of Jesus Christ. These would also be formal false Christs. Uh, think of the Jehovah's Witnesses who teach that Jesus is not God, but is rather the highest creation of God. Uh, the Mormons who teach that Jesus is one God among an infinite number of gods. Um, the oneness Pentecostals who meet down the street, who deny the doctrine of the Trinity and that the Son of God has not eternally existed as the Son. They reject that. Um, the liberal Protestants uh, they're more on that side of town. The liberal Protestants who teach that Jesus was just a man or a good moral teacher, but is nothing more than a first century rabbi who occasionally had some helpful things to say, but was also a man of his time and uh, was a little bit backward thinking from time to time. There's that Jesus that people preach. Uh, there are more than this, uh, but you get the idea. These are false Christs in organized religions. And many of them, most of them, call their Christs by the name Jesus, but it's not the Jesus that we meet in Scripture. There are also formal false prophets in our day. And these would be the spokespeople of these cults, right? the, the spokesmen, uh, the preachers, priests, and prophets of these groups who claim that they have revelation from God and they're speaking on behalf of God and declare this false Christ that they worship. These are also those preachers, priests, and prophets who openly and blatantly contradict the word of Christ. What's the word of Christ? The Bible. The whole Bible, by the way. The whole red-letter Christianity thing, it's stupid. That's one of the worst things people ever did is put the words of Christ in red in our Bibles. Why? Because it's all his word, man. If you believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, the eternally existent Son of God, and the Bible is the word of God, then it's Jesus' word. Just putting that out there to you. Me and Brandon Pate were talking about this this past week. If, if God is triune, then the whole book is his book, not just the Gospels. And these false prophets contradict what Jesus has said in the Old and New Testaments. They are false prophets. But it's not so much the formal false Christ and false prophets that we have to be on guard against. We're pretty good with that. Right? Like the Jehovah's Witnesses knocks on your door and you're like, man, get out of here. Which I hope that you, you actually know your theology enough that you can invite them in and, and preach the gospel to them. Right? If you're like, ah, I've seen you. Or the Mormons show up. You're like, I've seen that short sleeve white button up before. I know what you're doing, man. Right? Or if you never had them come to your house, it's a good time. Um, 
That, we don't have to worry about that so much. We know where those battle lines are drawn by and large. It's the informal ones that are more dangerous, I think. The informal false Christs and the informal false prophets. Informal Christs are, I, I call them this, they're the opinions of men and cultural views of Jesus that are not informed by scripture, even if they're not tied to a specific religious group. Uh, we're probably fairly familiar with these. Uh, bear with me, I got a list. Uh, the Jesus who is okay with your sin and would never call you to repent. The Jesus who would never tell you to follow him with your entire life. The Jesus who is a Democrat. The Jesus who is a Republican. Um, the Jesus who has no judgment and no wrath and would never think about damning anyone for their sins. A wrathless Christ. Uh, the Jesus who was generically nice to everyone and never said anything disagreeable. Uh, the Jesus who doesn't care if you believe the whole Bible so long as you are generically nice to everyone. The Jesus who is okay with adultery, divorce, abortion, fornication, sodomy, drunkenness, and the like, and would never, ever call you to account for your sins. The Jesus who, this is one of my favorites, who just wants you to be happy, even if you have to break his law in order to do so, right? Because he understands. You got to be happy. If that means you got to disobey him to be happy, then he'll make an exception for you. Right? The, the Jesus who is one savior among many and who allows you to follow your own path. Um, the Jesus who only spoke in the gospels and whose word is not the entire Bible. And therefore, sometimes Paul gets things wrong. Jesus didn't really say that. Moses sometimes gets things wrong and Jesus didn't really say that either. On the other hand, there's another set of informal false Christs. There are legalistic false Christs. Oh, God help us. The Jesus who only tolerates you but does not love you, that's a false Christ. The Jesus who did most of the work but you need to do the rest for your salvation, that's a false Christ. The Jesus who only loves good people, if you can find one, show me one. The Jesus who simply cannot save certain kinds of people, all of these are false Christs. The liberal and the legalistic. They're informal false Christs. And there are also informal false prophets. Who would that be? Well, they're not coming to you with a rainbow-collared scarf and calling themselves clergy. The informal false prophets are really anyone who espouses the above views. These are people you know. Informal false prophets. If I've said false Christ, I'm sorry. Informal false prophets. These are people that you encounter on social media, your workplace, your friend group, your family, even professing Christians that you know who espouse any of the views that we've talked about so far, or I've talked about so far. They are false prophets. Again, they don't come wearing a clergy robe or anything like that, but nevertheless, they're false prophets because they're propagating a false Christ. They're false prophets. And hear me, whether formal or informal, all of these false Christs and false prophets declare this. Look, there he is. Verse 21, that's what they're saying. Look, there he is. They declare, this is the real Jesus, and you've got him wrong. The one that I'm telling you about is the true Christ, and you don't know him. Or they declare this, just like the false prophets of that day. There is no judgment to come. God will not punish. 
right? God won't, God won't do that to Jerusalem. They look to the world and say, there is no judgment. God would never do that. There is no wrath to be saved from. He would never do that to you. Just like the false prophets in Jerusalem. And they all share something in common. Not only a common message at root, but this as well. Not one of those false Christs or false prophets can save a sinner from his sins. Not a one. Not a single one of them. Because none of them are real. None of them are the Son of God. They are idols. What's Psalm 115 say about idols? They can't save. And all who worship them become like them. Dead. Just like the ones in the first century offered a false hope of salvation, so also ours today cannot save. Rather, they lead people astray from the true Christ and the salvation that he brings. And it's sad. It's a tragedy. So then what do we do in the face of such imposters? That leads us to our second heading. It's really simple. Refuse to listen. What's Jesus say? Verse 21, the second half. Do not believe it. When they say, look, here he is, do not believe it. When they say, here is the Christ, or there is no judgment coming, do not believe it. Why? Because it's not the real Christ. Because it's not Jesus. And their words are not the words of Jesus Christ. Consider this for the first century audience. Right? I don't want us to miss the, the first century fulfillment of this. Jesus is telling his disciples not to believe it when they hear such things, I think for four reasons. One, they know who the true Christ is. They've met him. When someone says, here's the Christ, don't believe it. It's not me. Right? You know who I am. It's not me. They've walked with him. They know him personally. Second, they know where he's gone. When all this is going to be popping off in Jerusalem, they will have seen him ascend to heaven. Right? So you know it's not me. You know I'm in heaven. So they know that the Messiah is not where the liars are claiming he is. Third, and this is kind of a funny one, actually, uh, the parallel in Matthew 24, it's verses 26 through 27. The disciples know that when Jesus does come again, when he can be seen bodily on the earth, nobody's going to have to say, there he is. Here's what Jesus says. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Why? For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This one always makes me giggle a little bit. When they say, hey, the Christ is here. He's like, no, when I come, it'll be like lightning in the sky. No one has to tell you, hey, he's over here. Everyone's going to know. Don't worry about that. Right? It's not going to be a secret. That's why we, one of the reasons why we reject this idea of a secret rapture. Right? I prefer the interpretation that doesn't make Jesus a liar. When he says, everyone will see me, when I come, then know that there's not going to be a secret coming. He's just going to come. A fourth reason that, that they should know that it's not Jesus when they hear of these false Christs is they know what he said. Don't believe them. Why? You know what I said. They have his word. Particularly, they have his word about the destruction of Jerusalem. And they know, as Jesus says in verse 31, his word will never pass away. What Jesus says will happen, will happen. And he will not change his holy mind. They have his word. So do not believe it. That is Jesus' command to the early church. Why? Because those who are teaching a false Christ and false prophets, they are liars. 
because they're, they're trying to lead people astray from Christ. And so Jesus' church was to reject all imposters and cling tightly to the Lord Jesus and his words of warning and judgment. You could put it this way. I'm stealing this from a commentary I read. The first century church was to believe what the true Christ had said, and therefore they were to disbelieve all imposters. That, that was good. Brothers and sisters, sometimes faithfulness to Christ calls God's people to name others as liars and avoid them. Yeah, there's no 11th commandment that thou shalt be nice. That doesn't exist. That's not in the Bible. Sometimes you have to call someone a liar and a false Christ and a false prophet and avoid them. And this was the call to those living in Jerusalem in the first century. Don't listen to them. Listen to Jesus. And again, there is relevance for us in this. Uh, you can see it already. Your Lord commands you to reject false Christs and false prophets. Don't listen to them. Don't believe what they say. Why? Let me encourage you. You know him. You know him. You know him. Just as the early church, just as the disciples Jesus was speaking to, knew Christ, you know him the same. You say, how? I've never met him. Yes, you have. You have a Bible. You've met him in his word. Oh, if you don't think that that's worth something, then you have way too low a view of the Bible. You've met him in his word. You have encountered the living God, the living Christ in scripture. You know him. And as John said in 1 John, you have his spirit living in you, testifying to the truth of his word. You know him. You know it. Please hear me. I've dealt with this a good bit as a minister. You will be told by those who hate Christ but love to have a cross on everything, right? People who claim to be Christians but are not. You will be told left and right. If you actually believe that book, you will be told you don't know Jesus because Jesus would be at odds with you even though you literally just read them what Jesus said. You'll be told you don't know him. You'll be told you're hateful and he wasn't hateful. Therefore, you don't know the real Jesus. You know him. Yes, you do. You've met him in the book. Don't let anyone tell you that you don't know him. You've met him in the book. His spirit lives in you and testifies to you. You do know him. Don't let anyone take that from you. You know him. And you also know what he said. He said, just as he said, Jerusalem was coming down. You know so many things that he said. Why? Because he said so many things in his book. You know what he thinks about so many things. So when someone says, look, here he is, whenever they say something contrary to his word, do not believe them. Because you know him and you know what he said. The command to us is the same as the command to the infant church. Reject all imposters. Let me boil this down maybe to a sentence or two that maybe will stick in your head. Jesus is telling his people throughout all the ages, don't listen to them, listen to me. Don't believe them, believe me. That's what he's saying. But with all of this deception with all of these lies swirling around, that can make us kind of nervous, right? 
How, how do we know that we will not fall into deception? You ever ask yourself that question? How do I know that I'm going to remain faithful when I'm assaulted by these antichrists? How do I know? Well, that question leads us into our third heading. And it's a ground for our hope that we won't be deceived. The elect will be preserved. Verse 22. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Jesus says that the deception in that day would be so severe that if it were possible to deceive the elect into apostasy, the false Christs and false prophets would succeed. Many would be deceived, and these wicked men would try to deceive the elect. But did you catch what Jesus implies here? They would lead astray, if possible, the elect. The translators of the King James actually caught this implication so hard that they filled it in. The King James says, if it were possible. Good on them. They understood that. It was, that's right. That's what Jesus is implying here. If it were possible to deceive the elect, they would do it. The deception would be undeniably strong. It would be so strong that if God were not guarding his elect, they would fall away and believe the lie as well. But again, what Jesus is used doing here with this language is he's highlighting the strength of the deception. And in doing so, he's also highlighting and implying that the elect cannot be led astray. And listen, if you think, I don't know if I would hang it on that, well, just let's hear some other verses because we need to make this point here because it's encouraging. Speaking of the elect, Jesus says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Amen. Speaking of the elect, the apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 4 and 5, we have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The elect are being guarded by God so that they receive salvation. Speaking of the elect, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, 14 and 15, he says, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Your inheritance is your salvation. All those who have been saved have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and he's the guarantee that you will receive your inheritance. Bottom line, the elect cannot perish. They are being guarded by God so that they receive their salvation, and they have been guaranteed that they will acquire possession of it. Listen, the elect may stumble but they cannot fall away entirely unto damnation. They cannot fully leave Christ. Why? Because God won't allow it. He will not allow it. But who are these elect? Who are the elect? I know we have some new people here, so I want to I flesh this out. Who's Jesus talking about when he talks about the elect? Well, here we go. The elect are those who have been chosen by God in eternity past to be saved. They are those whom the Father gave to the Son to redeem them from their sin and damnation. Jesus talks about his Father has given him sheep to lay his life down for. He says, all who have been given to me by my Father, that's the elect. 
The elect then are also those for whom Christ came, his sheep for whom he laid down his life, his people for whom he lived righteously to make them righteous. These, the elect, are the ones for whom Jesus died. He died for the ones that his father gave him to save. And the elect are also those whom the Spirit of God has brought from spiritual death to life. They're the ones who have been spiritually awakened, given the gift of faith, and have been united to Christ by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. That's the elect. To put it in terms of our earthly experience, from our perspective, the elect are these. The ones who by God's grace have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe upon Christ? You're one of the elect. That's how that goes. Let me be clear. These are the ones who are not merely externally religious or who make a profession of faith for a season but are false professors, but rather those who have thrown all that they are on Christ for salvation and that God has begun to change by his grace. The elect, brothers and sisters, are all who savingly believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and these cannot be lost. The number of the elect, as our confession says, cannot be added to nor diminished. Praise God for this. He preserves his elect. The father chose. The son lived, died, and was raised. The spirit applied and sealed. And our God will finish the work that he started. And he will preserve his people through all temptation so that they persevere unto the end. Take comfort here, Christian. You say, I'm too weak to withstand these assaults. Amen. Yes, you are. But you will not be lost. Because God will save his people. His purposes cannot be thwarted. In the first century, the elect would not listen to the false Christs and the false prophets. They would not. God would preserve them so that they continued to, to trust in Christ alone and believe his word alone. And they did so by God's grace. Brothers and sisters, God will preserve us just the same. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. God's grace, God's preserving grace is what will lead us home. Why? Because we are the elect of God. All the powers of hell, all the wicked of the earth may join themselves together to try and lead us away from Jesus Christ, but God will preserve us as we heed his word. We are saved and we are safe. We will not be lost. Hear me, please, hear me. We will not be undeceived because we will be so clever and smart so as to avoid deception. That's not it. You will not persevere in the faith by sheer force of will. Your will is not that strong. Have you met yourself? We're not that strong and we're not that smart. And the deception of the world is too great for us in our own power to resist. As Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked to have you that he might sift you like wheat. What is that? Jesus says, if I gave you over to Satan, he would beat the brakes off you up and down this street, is what Jesus says to Peter. That's the same for us. But we will not be deceived because God will do it. Because God will preserve us. Brothers and sisters, God must do it. And praise be to him, he has promised to do it. As we often sing, he will hold me fast. And he will, because he loves us. 
And now we come to our final heading. And it's another word of command to us. Be on guard. Verse 23. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. The first century church was to guard themselves against false prophets and false Christs. And by doing so, they would preserve their souls. Likewise, brothers and sisters, we are to be on guard. We are to mark and reject all those who contradict Christ or present a Christ that we have not met in the scriptures. Please hear me. Not everything with a cross on it is Christian. We must not be deceived. We must be discerning. We are to guard against our enemy Satan and all his minions in this world who would seek to lead us astray from Christ. We are to be on guard. And there's encouragement for us, even in this command and warning, be on guard. Let me encourage you yet again. You ever think about this? God warns us in the Bible because he loves us. Jesus warns us here and tells us to be on guard because he loves us, Christian, because he loves you. Let me illustrate this briefly. I warn my daughter of all kinds of things. She's two. She's two. I have to warn her all, all, all kinds of warnings every single day. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Never stop. Hey, don't do that. That's not a good idea. Let's not go over there. Mm, not smartest thing. Let's not do that. I give all kinds of warnings. Why? Because I want her to be safe. Because I want to preserve her life. Because I want to arm her and help defend her against all harm. Why? Because I love her. But most relevant to this sermon, there's a warning that I give her, maybe more than almost anything. Stay next to daddy. Say it all the time. Right? Stay next. Don't walk away from the car and the parking lot. Stay next to daddy. Don't go into the road. Stay next to dad. Don't go near the fire. Don't go near the pool. Stay next to dad. Don't walk over. Stay here. I want her near to me so that I might protect her so that she would be preserved from harm because I love her. My dear brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus is telling us here, be on guard. Stay next to me. Stay next to me. And he's telling us this. Why? He will not suffer us to be lost. Stay next to me. I will preserve you. He warns us because he loves us. We must be on guard. We must always be discerning. We must always be asking, what does God say about this? What has Jesus said? Is this consistent with what Jesus has said? Is this biblical? Is this the Jesus that I've met in Scripture? He has warned us because he loves us and we need to heed his warning. Now, application has already been made throughout this sermon, but let me highlight two things before I finish. First, Christian, be resolved beforehand. Be resolved to stick tight to Jesus Christ. Seek him in his word. How else, how else are you going to, to be able to fight? You must know his word. Seek him in his word. Learn who he is more and more in the scriptures. Learn what he has said to you. And in doing so, train yourself to distinguish truth from error by God's grace. Pray for preservation and pray for perseverance. 
Resolve to stay near to him and ask him for help to do so and be on guard against all falsehood. And second, rejoice that you will not be led astray. Rejoice. Christian, you know Christ and he will preserve your soul. Believer, you are his elect. You have been chosen by God. That's what elect means, chosen. Christ has lived to give you his righteousness and died to take away your sins to make you clean. The Spirit of God has granted you faith and united you to Christ so that you receive all that he has accomplished on your behalf. You will be kept. You think God did all that to then turn you loose and, well, I don't know what happened to him. Nonsense. The blood of Christ is too precious. Not one drop was spilled in vain. He will save all of his people. You will be kept. Be glad, Christian. Be glad. Go ahead and believe it now. Hear me. Someone say, well, that's arrogant and that's presumption. Listen, it is not arrogant to say, I will not be lost because Jesus won't allow it. That's not arrogance. That's faith in the promises of God given to you in Christ Jesus our Lord. It would be arrogant to say, as some of our evangelical friends do, I won't be lost because I won't bow down to the devil. That's arrogance. But that's not what we say. We say with the full confidence of faith, I will not be lost because my Lord is stronger than all and he will do it. That's faith. And we live each day by faith. The promise is yours, Christian. Take it and fight the lies of the devil and be glad in Christ. May God grant this to each one of us today to be resolved to stick tight with Christ and to rejoice that indeed he will keep us. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your word that though these prophecies were fulfilled, they are so relevant to us today to encourage us, to remind us of ethical principles, to remind us of your promises, your gospel, your goodness. We thank you for the Olivet Discourse. And God, we ask you that you would we ask that you would seal these truths to our heart this morning. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to seek Christ in your book that we might withstand the assault of the devil. And God, grant us grace to persevere. Preserve us, God. Help us to be faithful unto death. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.